You're listening to The Authenticity Show, where you get to eavesdrop on great conversations about health, creativity, and the quest for excellence. Your hosts are Carlos Casados and Satch Purcell. In this episode, Carlos and Satch talk about some of their favorite movies. Some movies you may have heard of, but also some older gems that you might have missed. If they skip your favorite movie, send us a message. Let us know what it is. Maybe we'll all watch it together as a team and talk about it in the next episode. Lost on a painted sky where the clouds are hung for the poet's eye. You may find him if you may find him. There on a distant shore by the wings of dreams through an open door. You may know him if you may. Be as a page that aches for words which speaks on a theme that is timeless, while the sun god will make for your day. Sing as a song in search of a voice that is silent, and the one god will make for your way. And we dance to a whispered voice, overheard by the soul, undertook by the heart, and you may know it if you may know it. While the sand would become the stone, which begat the spark, turned to living bone, holy, holy, sanctus, sanctus. That is from the movie Jonathan Livingston Siegel. Wow. Written by, or inspired by the book from Richard Bach. Mm -hmm. Uh, Neil Diamond wrote that song. That song is called B. And uh, it's a beautiful song, and it always blows me away because uh, I watched this movie because my mom insisted that I would have loved it. And I was older when I saw it. And uh, for those who have not seen this movie, it is uh, a story about a seagull who wants to fly farther than any seagull has flown, fly higher than any seagull has ever flown, and to fly faster than any seagull has ever flown. And he becomes outcast because of it. His flock kicks him out because he's different from everybody else. And he goes out, you know, just following his, his bliss. And he meets masters and he becomes a master. He becomes an enlightened seagull. And they did an amazing job of anthropomorphizing um, seagulls mm. as humans and teaching these lessons of, of life and following that inner voice, that inner magnetism that pulls you in a direction that you know you need to go. And I thought Neil Diamond, um, who wrote the entire soundtrack, just made a masterpiece out of it. And those lyrics um, have taught me a lot about um, that quest for excellence that you and I talk about a lot. Hmm. Have you seen the film? I have. Yeah. Long time yeah. ago. I thought so. I and read the so. book. I periodically come back to the genius of Neil Diamond, but I forget. I do because too. he's not like he's not like my favorites. I don't. I don't. He's not in the forefront of my mind. Let's put it that way. Right. So, so it's situations like this that reveal to me another layer of his genius, kind of thing, which is pretty cool. Me too. You know, yeah. he's somebody that I grew up listening to because my parents liked him. My yeah. dad, yeah, you know, was a singer when he was young, and he had certain favorites. And Neil was one of my dad's favorites, mm -hmm. just as, as a fellow vocalist. And um, Neil Diamond uh, is a meditator. Didn't know that. You know, yeah, he was, um, I believe he was a cantor. So he s sang traditional Jewish 
music, but with that voice, right? Mm -hmm. And he did a masterful job of writing the lyrics for that movie. And the music, the mood, everything, it, it, I, it gives me goosebumps. It inspires me every time. And I forget about the movie. And then something will remind me of it. And it's like a compass for me. And I would encourage anybody who wants to become inspired and feel how majestic you really are when you're following your heart and following your bliss, or if you're somebody who you feel that you're on a path of self-discovery and you need to feel like you really are doing something divine again, watch that movie. It'll yeah, remind you. I concur. It's nice when a, a movie does a good job of conveying something poignant and deep and special and, uh, you know, all the way through it, it's like, it becomes a classic, instant classic. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing, and this is probably the most important thing, is it came out in 1973, and I came out in 1973. Yes, you did. So Coincidence? That's, I don't think I so. I don't think so, you know. <laughs> Thanks, Mom. You know, I, I was three weeks late, you know. Uh, if, if I was born a little little sooner, I, I, I still could have been born in uh, 1972, just right. late 1972. But I, Whereas I was born um, when Charles Bronson Deathwish was released. Oh, outstanding. December 14th, yeah. 1971. Ooh, yes. That LeBron. tells you everything yeah. right there. Yeah. <laughs> Did you ever have a mustache like that in your life? No. Um, I have, um, in the process of shaving, of course, you know, like skipped everything but the mustache uh, just for a moment. Yeah. Just, just to see what Carlos would look <laughs> like with a porn stash. Yeah. No, yeah. definitely not. Not going to happen. Um, yeah. Nice. It's nice. not a good look. Let's put right, it that way. Right. <laughs> so Carlos, what... Uh, Tell, tell me about a movie that um, uh, has had an impact on you. For me, Excalibur is something that I go back to a lot. It's campy, but it's also archetypal. You know, it's talking about these 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 ideas that maybe Carl Jung would would talk about. You know, the magician and the the young solar king and the the warrior and all, you know, all these different aspects, right? Um, so Excalibur had all that, and of course, a great soundtrack. I mean, it was the soundtrack to that was uh, Wagner. Costuming was pretty silly, but classic, you know, yeah, yeah. one of those, I think it was maybe 1981 or Yeah, I remember like that. my dad took me to the movies to see that. Oh, really? I saw that with my dad. I remember very specifically. Well, then you saw some boob. I did. And that, that had an impact on me in 1981. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It sure did. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's this altruism that's, that's depicted in Arthur's heart. Mm. And the love that he shares with Merlin, yeah, and uh, you know the great care and the burden that you know he refers to as lacrime mundi, you know the tears of the world that he bears as as a sorcerer, having seen a lot, and <clears throat> you know he's the bearer of secret knowledge and all these things, um, and he he carefully uses his knowledge through time to help create the future. Yes. A more positive future for, for mankind. Yeah. And of course, his own failings are, in, are, are right uh, in the experience too, because he, he makes mistakes along the way and doesn't anticipate certain things. Even though he has the gift of prophecy, he can't see everything. Right. Um, it's like he gets hints of what's coming from around the corner, but yeah, yeah. there's still a mystery there. And there's human nature involved and all these things too. But Yes. Um, Excalibur. I liked that movie. And I did see it again after you and I had spoken about it a couple years ago. We talked about the movie about a year and a yeah. half ago or so. And um, I watched it just one afternoon and uh, I enjoyed it. 
You know, of course, it's mm. it's different by today's standards, and a lot of the movies we're going to talk about tonight oh, yeah. are a little different by today's standards. But for sure, still, you know, they 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 capture something. Well, you know, you know what I got out of it is is a, a belief that I could make a difference in spite of the fact that nothing will last. Mm. You know that that I guess Buddhist revelation that you know all is impermanent and all yeah. that kind of stuff. You know, yeah, law of impermanence, and and yet. We still opt for doing good things for a reason, for a good reason. My next movie, Circle of Iron. Oh my gosh. That's right. Written by Bruce Lee and some other people. (laughs) But yes, Bruce Lee uh, contributed to writing a movie. Circle of Iron is interesting because uh, as a a young person, I watched it because it was a martial arts film. And I also found it interesting that um, it was written by Bruce Lee and also starred David Carradine in it from our our Mm. favorite TV show, Kung Fu. The film is about a journey toward relying on yourself and discovering that you are the answer. That's what I like about it. And I don't know Mm -hmm. that there's much more to say about the film. Yeah. Other than that, Mm -hmm. you know, um, uh, that really the the lesson in the film is it's, it's a reminder that there are certain things like spirituality, that you don't have to take so seriously. And in fact, if you loosen your grip on those things and don't take them so seriously, you might actually get farther. Mm. And to really embrace the idea that the answer actually is in you, whatever that means. Um, So don't search too hard, just relax and just take a peek inside. That's what I got from it. Yeah, I think if that's all anyone got from that film, that would be enough. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Circle of Iron. That's said well enough. I yeah. agree. I agree. Yeah, it was 1978. Yeah. So, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's quite a bit old. Well, speaking of old, um, if you go back to 1959, um, Black Orpheus. You ever seen that? Black Orpheus? No. Yeah. I don't know this one. It's a good one. Um, it's probably... I'm, I'm not sure if I'm overstepping here, but I think it was kind of like the movie that really brought... Uh, Brazilian bossa nova to you know the public attention in in uh, United States and places like that. Um, it popularized like um, Carlos Jobim and a lot of that bossa nova jazz kind of mm. stuff. Um, so that was part of it. It's like the the soundtrack's fantastic, and it's set in the Carnival. So this is a black and white film, mm-hmm. and um, just like the name suggests, it's it's a it's a depiction or a modern depiction of um the story of orpheus and eurydice okay sort of the 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 lovers that were uh cursed to never be able to see one another you know or they could just it's it's almost uh it's pre lady hawk (laughs) yeah okay and that's (laughs) pretty pre yeah it's pre pre lady lady hawk um but um and with a much better soundtrack (laughs) than lady hawk i mean wow Um, yeah but anyway, Black Orpheus, um, they were escaping from a, a hitman during Carnival, and the hitman was dressed as death. And so, of course, um, you know, there's death in the film depicted um, mm. in a real poignant way that, that makes the point at the very end. So I don't want to blow that part. Sure. I want people to actually watch it. It's super cool. Yeah. Um, and it's the same basic story, just modernized. Yeah, and I thought that was really cool. I, I think that was the year that I really got into Bossa Nova. Okay, like maybe like I was just starting to listen to Bossa Nova, and then 
the film was recommended to me and then it just kind of sealed nice. it. <laughs> totally well, sealed it. I'm going to have to see this movie. You really are. The name to. one more time? Black Orpheus. Black Orpheus. Fantastic okay. film. Sounds yeah. good. Yeah. yeah. It's really good. 1959. Excellent. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going to check that one out. still on an older movies kick Mm -hmm. Uh, and this is one that i know you appreciate too and we've we've spoken about it before one flew over the cuckoo's nest yeah that's a goodie Uh, an absolute favorite of mine um 1975 it was written by ken kesey Mm -hmm. this film i saw it as a child and liked it didn't understand it and I think, you know, I, I sat through it and watched the whole thing because my dad loved it. Mm-hmm. And that influenced me. Mm-hmm. So uh, I watched, watched the film and then saw it again later in life. And again, loved it. Then saw it later in life and saw something a little different in it. And then saw it not <clears throat> too long ago, maybe five years ago, four or five years ago. And it spoke to me. It sung to me. I understood the film in such a different way. And it, it, it almost was like a spiritual awakening when I realized what the movie was about. Wow. And, and this is just my own interpretation. I've, I've not gone and read any other people's interpretations of, of, of the meaning. Uh-huh. Um, but if anybody has not seen this film... This is a musty film. It did win, it, it like you know, won a bunch of Academy Awards. It was you know a really good movie, uh, and it's got a young Danny DeVito and a young Christopher Lloyd, and uh, of course Jack Nicholson when he was a much younger man. Uh, so it all takes place in a mental institution, and the structure of the film. This is what I think was so brilliant about it: is the film was structured around the contents of a person's head. The mental institution is your head. It's your skull. It's your, it's your brain. And the different characters in the film represent the different aspects of a personality. Um, you have one who's a bad boy, the id, Jack Nicholson, you know, you have nurse ratchet, who's sort of the super ego and, you know, scolds you and makes you feel ashamed of your sexual desires, which was that other kid that was in the movie. You know what I mean? And so all, all these different characters are battling inside your head. They represent all the different confusing aspects of our personality and, and um, you know, my drives and my desires, yet, yet what I'm told is right and wrong and all this happens. And the part that I think was so brilliant about the film is there's one special character, and that is the Native American who's giant. He's super tall. He's incredibly strong. And everybody thinks that he can't speak and that he's deaf. They think he's deaf and dumb. But who does he speak to? He speaks to Jack Nicholson's character, the id, the inner child. So the inner child and the deep, powerful, strong, silent native self that's in all of us, that's hiding somewhere in your head that you think won't speak, you think can't hear you, is there. And it's powerful. And it's deep. Yeah. And the film shows me that when you, for those who haven't seen it, I'm not spoiling it. Um, but you'll understand when you do see it, you must tame 
the superego and you must tame the id. And when you do, the strong, silent native self gets to break out. And so those who've seen the movie, that makes a lot of sense. If you haven't seen the movie, it doesn't make much sense. That's great. I, I love, love that, that film. I love that you, that you had that flash of insight after seeing it and that you felt the experience of your spiritual head oh, exploding. Man, you know, it, it really, it blew me away. It was, it yeah. was very moving to, to have that discovery, you know, to realize what that was. Because then as soon as you realize it from inside yourself, you come to the conclusion that, yes, the answers are inside, mm. you know, and it's wonderful to, to use art to um, stir it and spark it. I watched the movie several times before it made sense. Yeah. And then when it made sense, I appreciated the meaning so much more. <laughs> so cool. One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. That's a good one. Did you see Emily? Yes. Wasn't that a beautiful film? Absolutely loved it. I watched it with my wife, Tanya, you know, and we adored that film. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's more than cute. It's it's I don't know. Um I loved the imagination that that was conveyed um not just in the story but also in her face. Yes. You know the way the the main character um Marie Tatou um her innocence, the way she could do that with her face and her eyes and and it just spoke magical volumes to me. Me too, you know, me too. Like, wow. I, I remember just laughing my tail off when uh She's having sex with that guy and she's looking over her shoulder just with like this bored, sort of amused yeah. look like, yeah. oh, la-di-da-di-da, you know, <laughs> it just cracked yeah. me up. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And I thought it was super cute um, uh, and also kind of tragic, of course, um, that she was just such a loving girl that, that um, and she wanted the affection of her parents and uh, her, her father was a doctor, so in, upon doing an examination and, and listening to her heart, he noticed that her heart had a strange flutter mm. and he got con grew concerned about her cardiac health when in fact she was just so so enjoying being being held, being touched basically yeah, yeah. that her heart would flutter. And I thought that was right. just so sweet. So like, nice. oh my God. It's and, so uh, kind and beautiful. Yeah, and yet I love this it. became this whole thing where, where um, a misunderstanding like that of her true nature yeah. ended up, you know, causing her to have a, a very different life. Yes. Um, yeah. When in fact, she was just pure love. Mm -hmm. And so even her uh, finding that that magical little box. Remember in in the in the in the apartment, she reached in a hole, and apparently someone who had lived there before as a young person had a little tin box that had photographs and little toys and little like mementos and things. Yeah, like I remember that, that now. I've forgotten a lot of this film. And so she began to imagine things, and then she went on a almost a. Uh, a detective's, you know, Nancy Drew mystery thing where she went, went around looking for how to connect the dots. Like, you know, who lived in this apartment before and, you know, did they have a child? And remember she, she tracked all that. Yeah, that's right. That's you know, right. And, and the, okay. <laughs> it's just so cool. Yeah. There's so many cool things about that film. I just, yeah. I saw that when it's it, magical when it like first came out, you know, for rental, you know, so yeah. it was a while back that I saw yeah. it. I'd love to see that movie. I need to see it's, that movie it's again. It's very sweet. Yeah. yeah. We'll have to do movie night at Oliver's and watch Oliver. Absolutely. It's a good one. My next film that I recommend, a very authentic film, is one that I recommended to our crew to watch. And you all watched it once when I wasn't there. 
That is the invention of lying. Um, I like the invention of lying. It's a more, more of a contemporary, more, more of a modern, modern film. It's with uh, Ricky Gervais. Um, came out in 2009, so it was... Did I watch that? I'm too bad. I'm I'm trying to remember. Yeah, The Invention of Lying. Um, uh, It's Ricky Gervais, and it's it's him living in this fictitious world Mm -hmm. where humans never evolved the ability to tell a lie. They didn't have a concept Ah, of lying. That's right. It didn't exist, right? There was no lying. Yep. And everybody just said exactly what they thought. That's a great film. And, you know, he's out on a date with Jennifer Garner's character yeah. and, and she gets a call from her mom and the mom's asking how the blind date's going and she starts to talk about him right in front of him. Oh, you know, oh, it's okay. You know, no, 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 not very attractive. No, no, no. Oh, kind of like a little piggy face, you know, and, he, you know, and, and he's hearing all this, right? Yeah. And so then one day he, on a whim at the bank, tells a lie and he didn't even understand what he had done, but he, mm-hmm. he tells this lie and, and it's like confusing and it's great and it worked and he got all this money from the bank teller and um, he didn't even know how to describe what he had done. And he's telling his friend that he said something that wasn't and everyone just thought he was nuts. He's crazy. Right. And so the film does a good job of showing that um, on the one hand, lying is necessary that it can turn into bad things and it also can be um, compassionate to lie mm. and it can give people hope and you know that there is that, that there are two sides to, yeah. to, to everything we, we think that lying is bad and then he shows that it's good but it's also bad but it's also good mm-hmm and things that are good are sometimes bad. Like telling the truth sometimes hurts people. And there are times when you don't tell the truth. And there are times when you should actually lie and vice versa. And that's just what I loved about the movie. Yeah. I mean, that, the essence of reframing is is uh, asking yourself, what's another spin on this? You know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. What's a useful way of looking at this that could... Yeah, and, and essentially that is spin. Uh, it's maybe not be the... It might not be the the standard way people use that word. Yeah, not the marketing version, but it's yeah. spin in the sense of you are spinning the meaning. You know, you're exactly. you're reweaving, <laughs> right, as I it like were. That. That's a good way. Yeah. Uh, that was a cool film. Yeah, yeah. I, the other thing it made me think of is is how um, really all of us human beings we have patterns that we can fall into that can blind us to what is possible. Mm. So we you know we couldn't see. Uh, that there was such a thing as lying if we never knew what lying was. And, right. And, and we don't have a word to describe it, therefore hard to conceptualize, therefore how do you defend against that? You know, it's yeah, just, exactly. You know, yeah, it's a it, blind spot, literally. Totally. It brings <laughs> you can't up, look at that in part of your mind because it doesn't exist. Yeah, how do you know an unknown? Mm-hmm. And it brings up the, the, that philosophical idea of epistemology, you know, like mm-hmm. studying the limits of human knowing. Like what if you don't have the capacity to even know that you don't have the capacity to know something. Right. We don't know. know what we don't know. Yeah, we don't. Like I, I uh, that's why... There are known knowns. And there are <laughs> there are knowns right. Not going to go there. <laughs> Which reminds me again of, of that... Um, of that, spin. That, that, well, that wonderful line from um, Chuangzi, where he says, the morning mushroom knows nothing of twilight. Yeah. Satch, have you ever seen uh, Lars and the Real Girl? No. I've not. Yeah, it's not. It's not that old. It's it's a few years old, but um, 
you know, speaking of psychology and things like that, um, the basic premise is um, the main character is kind of lonely and ends up ordering a real doll called a real girl in this particular movie. And it's a, in sort of a life-size um, mannequin, I guess you want to put it okay. that way, but with, with sort of um, soft skin and, you know, hair and eyes and the whole thing. Yeah. Um, and so he dresses it up and starts treating it like it's a real girl and, um, and he starts bringing it around to home and, and, you know, Hey, I met a girl, everybody's really excited, but it ends up being this, this doll. And so some people are naturally pretty concerned about his mental health. Mm. Um, so they bring him to a therapist and the therapist just treated it as though it were real. And then she interacted with this delusion, um, in such a way that, kind of honored him as a human being. Mm, and okay. she encouraged everybody in the village to kind of, like his friends and family, to kind of um, cooperate with this. What was neat is that more than Lars got a lesson out of it. Oh, Everyone everybody else got a lesson out of it. Being there for him learned how to be more loving and more connected and more sensitive to one another. So basically what happened was there was more harmony created because of this disharmony when they all treated, well, well, they basically all took responsibility for for what was happening, mm. which reminded me of um, there was a meme going around on Facebook about how in Africa, in some tribe of Af- in Africa, when when someone commits a a crime or or something like that, everyone in the village surrounds that person, especially the family, and starts to tell that person who they are. Mm. to them and, and all the good things about them yeah, and reminds them of their genius, reminds them of, of all the good stuff about them and they just keep doing it. And it basically, um, drills back into the person, you know, something about their true core nature and then the bad behavior, at least in that culture, it, it tends to work that the bad behavior just stops. It's almost like casting out demons or something, right? Yeah. So in Lars and the Real Girl, what I thought was cool was the way um, this doctor slash therapist um, got everybody in a masterful way to um, step into the metaphor with Lars, interact with the metaphor with Lars, and help him to resolve the incomplete part of this metaphor. Nice. So he healed okay. and he understood things at a very different level by the end, and it was just so cool. I thought oh, that was really, wow. really interesting to watch the way that uh, the psychology was weaving together to make that true. You know? Now, I can see that appealing to you because with your background in, NL, in, in NLP, neurolinguistic programming and hypnosis, mm-hmm. um, from what I've heard from our discussions and from what I've heard like from uh, Richard Bandler, just yeah. recordings and things that, that there can really be an alternative approach to the modern psychiatric or psychological approach rather than denying. Yeah. Because I remember him talking about, um, you know, if somebody thinks they're Jesus, he's going in there with nails and wood and right. they're going <laughs> right. to make a, a cross. You <laughs> yeah. know what I mean? and, and, and most of the time, you know, well today, you know, in, in modern, um, psychology or psychiatric practice, you would never feed a delusion like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's interesting to me that 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 you brought this particular movie up because it it kind of gets into that, doesn't it? It's a little mm, different it approach. Wow, it does. And you know, just speaking to the Bandler thing, 
Um, it's really hard to know how much of what he says is is uh, creative license and just bullshit, exactly, you know, yeah. to make people laugh and to teach and to to teach a point. Right, right, right. Um, and how much of it's actual, you know, actually happened that way. But I do know that he did. This this part's factual. He did a lot of work with schizophrenics and psychotics and people with uh, various psychiatric disorders, partly through Virginia Satir and partly because people started bringing them to him. Okay. Uh, so he, it may there may be some truth to that story, which is really kind of interesting to think about. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and all the different stories that he has about the snakes and all these things. So okay. yeah, totally. That's it totally int- it intrigued me and appealed to me for those very reasons. Um, I would absolutely recommend it. Okay, Lars and... Lars and the Real Girl. And the Real Girl. Mm -hmm. Okay, Lars and the Real Girl. Sounds good. So my next film recommendation is Hector and the Search for Happiness. Oh, that is a good one. Hector and the Search for Happiness. Yeah, I remember that. And this is a movie starring Simon Pegg. It was 2014, so it was uh, not, not too long ago. And it's the story of a psychiatrist that feels like he's not really doing anything. He's not really making people happy. These people are coming to him with their problems and he's in a rut and and he just isn't satisfied. And he decides that he is going to go on a journey. He's going to travel. He's going to search for what makes people happy. And what I love about the film is he has this little notebook and every time something occurs to him while he's on his trip, he writes the lesson in his notebook and you see it come up on the screen as to what he's writing. Right. And this appeals to me because all of us can do this in our everyday life. If you are going about your day and you discover, you notice if you're, if you're creating a mind to search for something particular, you will see it everywhere you look all the time, every day. Mm -hmm. And he is searching for what makes people happy. And he gets out of his normal routine. He goes to other countries. He meets very different people. He gets into all kinds of trouble. And, you know, it's, it's a fun movie. And he keeps writing down these things that he learned on his journeys. Mm -hmm. And they're really simple, wonderful, practical pieces of advice that, do lead to happiness and they're simple that's the that's the lesson that it's not about gobs and gobs of psychology research and mm-hmm. it's just regular everyday stuff that we just look over undeniable and simple truths yep yep yeah hector and the search for happiness yeah that was a great one yeah highly recommend that definitely highly Being there. Great freaking film. I have not seen it and I'm so excited because I get to see it. This 1979 film, Peter Sellers, uh, Shirley MacLaine, and, and a few others, um, just great job. Um, it's, it's that whole um, Taoism concept of no mind, the emptiness, the fool, the, you know, the fool that is filled with virtue. Yes. The main character was like he was living in that because he had not unlearned 
he stayed his entire life within these four walls in this kind of large mansion home and being the gardener. Mm. So all he understood was in relation to uh, the seasons and the earth and nature. But when his master dies, he's released and let go and, and he's let out. He's never been outside the home and he's stumbling through New York City and it just so happens to be that he is struck by a very well-off person in a Rolls Royce. And they ask him who he is, and he's kind of stumbling through his words and kind of gets choked up, and he says, I'm, I'm the gardener. And so they say, oh, Mr. Gardener, you know. So this becomes his name, and then they insist on taking him back to their mansion, taking care of him, et cetera, et cetera. And he excels through life because of these connections to the point where he's advising the president of the United States. Wow. And giving advice um, as though he were a cabinet, a trusted cabinet member. And the president hears the advice stated in these sort of simplistic gardening terms, and he gets that there's something behind that. I love this idea. I, I love films that um, that use that archetype of the fool. Oh, yeah. Uh, Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump. is a movie like that. Yeah. Um, one that you foreshadowed would be on my list of movies earlier is Beverly Hills Ninja. Yep. As silly as that movie is, it is one of my all-time favorite films. Yeah. With Chris Farley. Uh, it's a riot. May, may he rest in peace. Yep. What gets me about Beverly Hills Ninja is, he, here is, he's the simple fool. Mm-hmm. And it's just a reminder to all of us that um, you don't have to be particularly talented. You don't have to be particularly special to resonate what the universe gave you. Well, it's the whole accidental genius thing, you know? Exactly, yeah. uh, You know, get smart, right? Maxwell Smart. There you go. Agent 86. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Hello, chief. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It reminds me of Sweet Pea on Popeye. Going through factories and never gets smashed by any of the machinery. Yep, Yep. or uh, Mr. Magoo. Mr. Magoo, yep. Mm -hmm. Another one, another good one. Yeah. My next film is... A 2003 film. Uh, it's a Tim Burton film. And that is Big Fish. Big Fish, yeah. I liked Big Fish. It's a good one. I think what I like so much about Big Fish is it speaks to the power of our intent to interpret life and to create the story of our life that we really want. And mm. we did a whole episode with our, our friend James Key mm-hmm. uh, about storycraft, and yep. that film always reminds me of that conversation. Um, if anybody hasn't seen this movie by now, <laughs> you should. And uh, you know, I'll, I'll pull back on the spoiler part, but it shows you that your entire life, even your death, there's room for interpretation. There's room for creating it. For, for making it your own. Mm-hmm. And life really is a story that you tell yourself about yourself. And that's yeah. what I got from that film. And I think anybody um, who feels like they could use some inspiration, like they're not in control of their life, watch that film. Yeah. And learn that lesson and play with it and have fun and, and you know, be inspired enough to write your own story. Mind Walk. Have not seen it. Yeah, it's a cool one. Um, The basic idea is that a poet, a politician, and a physicist, I think they were just sticking with P's that day, um, 
go on a walk together. And the physicist, um, she's talking about principles in quantum physics and, and things like that, that uh, she sees as um, an important way of looking at life. Like if you look at life like this, we will have a better world. Hmm. So it was just really beautiful the conversation back and forth. It's really all it is. It's them walking around and talking. So it's, it's one long conversation, like nice. <laughs> my dinner with Andre or something, nice. uh, which is another great film yeah. um, about a conversation. But I just thought it was cool. And, and when I was maybe 20 or 22, when I saw it, maybe um, I thought, wow, um, this would be really interesting if the world uh, leaders could take on these ideas. I felt really inspired when I watched the film. I've seen it a few times. Nice. Wow. Mind walk. Mind walk. Mm-hmm. I like it. A film that I saw not long ago, it's a fairly recent film, is called Lucky. Mm. And Lucky's a great film. It uh, is Harry Dean Stanton, who was a longtime actor, been in lots of, lots of stuff going way back in the day. And uh, this was his last film that he made. And it was really perfect because it's a movie about a man in his 90s who is of very very sound mind who has this understanding that he's near the end i mean he's in his 90s he's got to face the fact that he's just not going to be here for much longer and it's his whole struggle in dealing with this idea of dying and it's interesting because they actually wove in some uh real facts about Harry Dean Stanton's life, the the actor who played Lucky. No kidding. And they wove those into the film. And so it really was a movie about an elderly man who's of sound mind, who's dealing with his upcoming death, and he died the next year after the film was complete. Wow. So there's just something it was, about uh, it. It's foreshadowing like, in a way. Yeah, it was foreshadowing and it was also yet brutally honest. You know, because here you got this this old guy, this old actor who he knows he doesn't have much more time. And he's doing a film about an old guy who knows he doesn't have much more time. And I just have to think that the movie um, probably helped him cope with his own, you know, death that, that was around the corner. Jim Jarmusch has a lot of really cool films. Um, and they're all interesting in different ways. Ghost Dog is one of them. I love Ghost Dog. Yeah. Absolutely love that movie. Okay, yeah, so I know cool. what you're talking about. Yeah, so so he has a... I mean, that's just a really cool film. It I mean, if, if you studied martial arts and if you appreciate altruism and, and if you're not, you know, if if you're okay with violence on, on screen, yeah, um, it's, you know, it's, it's about an assassin, you know, yeah. truth be told, but it's about the way of the samurai in a right. way too. It's like... Forrest Whitaker. Yeah, Forrest Whitaker, yeah. He, he follows a code and... There's all this kind of altruism in, in the movie, and, and just did a really good job. And plus, it's freaking Forrest Whitaker. You know, yeah, I mean? it's amazing <laughs> film. Yeah, we yeah. Enough said, right? But another movie that that Jim Jarmusch made that's really trippy, and has a cool soundtrack by none other than Neil Young. Mm. Super cool. So he he kind of narrates it with his music, if you will. Like okay. he, he puts the the he puts a vibe through the whole movie. Okay. Um, but Dead Man starred Johnny Depp, and it was a little bit of an accidental genius kind of movie. Okay. Um, because he's genius at something for sure. Like, he's a dentist, and it's not what you normally think of someone being a genius at, 
but what he falls into he's absolutely a freaking genius in and you see his, you know this genius is is carrying him from one scene to another to another you know barely escaping with his life because he's in the old west and um if it weren't for this genius he would have died in the first scene because literally it's his genius that's saving his ass all throughout the whole thing and he had no idea that he had this genius so when you get a chance to see it i highly recommend it because um it's a bit like a series of unfortunate events are happening all along the movie um but it's all the little minuets and little scenes and things that they they paint um, uh, along the way that that makes it really interesting and kind of funny and quirky and weird and um, almost psychedelic, like a journey into the underworld or mm. into the afterlife or something like that and beyond. It's nice. super cool. But all it's right. set in the Old West, so it's, you know, guns and saloons and all that love stuff, it. but it's super it. cool. I love it. That's another Jim Jarmusch yeah. film, Dead Man. And then the the other the other one that I really really liked that he did is called Only Lovers Left Alive, and that's oh. actually a vampire movie. Wow, that sounds great! It's super cool. It's these really ancient vampires, and and uh, they're getting kind of tired of living because there's only so many ways you can do everything, mm-hmm. and uh, highly intelligent and have a lot of money and things like that. Um, they have their vices. Okay, um, you know. One of them's a rock star and, you know what I mean? He's kind of lived that life, you know, sex, drugs, rock and roll kind of thing. And there's, there's, a, um, there's a romance that, that has spanned the centuries between these two who, who are now apart but kind of get together once in a while. And there's just, it, it plays, at least to my experience when I was watching, it was like they were playing with the idea of what would happen if you truly you were bonded with someone in this really deep way. And you, you know, there was like love and hate in there and mm. repulsion and attraction mm. and friendship and distrust and all these things all mixed in this, you know, centuries long relationship. It's just really nice. interesting. All right. Yeah. Sounds good. You know, um, I didn't mention any Coen Brothers films. Of oh, course, yeah. just just to rattle off a bunch oh, of my God. I love their films. Lots of great um, stuff there. Lots of good stuff. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think uh, it was kind of neat for us to tackle this topic because, you know, we talk about, you know, a lot of creativity, a lot of quest for excellence. And everything that we've talked about tonight, these are films that have helped each of us do that. Yeah. And if, it, if they give any inspiration to somebody else, you know, if there's any of these movies that people haven't seen, I'm sure a lot of them they haven't seen, mm-hmm. um, and they check them out, we just gave everybody a bunch of movies to watch absolutely there's so many more yeah there's so many more these are just the ones that popped in our head today yeah yeah absolutely tons and tons yeah and it's great because uh you know these these stories if you will they they will be part of your reality once once you once you enjoy something enough um you start to almost graft bits and you know parts of your psyche to ideas and then those things become um part of the you know, psychogeography, you know, they, they kind of rearrange the way you look at life. It yeah. reframes things, yeah. you know? And so Absolutely. it's, it's just powerful yeah. the way stories can do that. I agree. Even yeah. a simple story, like we were talking about dumb stuff uh-huh. that that's just humor yeah. um, can really change you. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I, you know, just one, one little, little tip. Not always is, in a dumb way either. That's right. That's right. <laughs> uh, actually just, just real quick, there's a movie called The Guru. 
which is a silly, silly movie yeah, about this Indian guy that comes to the U.S. and he can't get work, so he starts doing porn. And then on the side, he becomes this like relationship guru, and he beca- it blows out of control. And it's a silly, silly movie. But what I love about the film is at the end, the joke's on you. Yeah. And you realize he actually gives you a deep, profound lesson in life at the end of this really dumb movie. And that just <laughs> made it a great movie for me. Yeah. So, you know, there you go. It can sometimes just be silly. G, you are you. TM, the love girl. <laughs> <laughs> You've been listening to The Authenticity Show with your hosts, Carlos Casados and Satch Purcell. This show was produced by myself, Oliver Altine. I also wrote the theme music, which you're listening to right now. The interstitial music this time was from a live jam I did in my garage with my friends John Fogg and Jeff Klukey. Just one of the many unrepeatable, magical moments that pepper the lives of improvising musicians. Please subscribe to this show if you haven't already done so. You can find it wherever you find your podcasts. Also find us on social media, and you can visit our website at AuthenticityShow.com. Thank you for listening, and have an authentic day. Thank you.